amazing month for the Israelites. We've been chapters 1 through 6 now, and we've seen the beginning of their month consist of them having the extraordinary experience of crossing the flooding Jordan River by God's hand and work and that. And then for the first time, the Israelites set their feet into the promised land. I mean, that alone is, that, that's not just a once every so often thing. That, that is a unique thing. And 10th and day of the first month. And four days later, they celebrate Passover in the promised land. What an incredible beginning of the month. In the end of the month, uh, towards the latter half of the month, it's just this crazy conquering experience of Jericho that we went through last Sunday. And God showing himself big in relationship that's involved with that. And it's ultimately, it's been a month for them of God speaking, his people doing, and then just watching God do a work. I mean, that's really what it's been for them. And boy, that should be our story. God speaks, we, we do what God speaks, and, and then we watch God do a work. What an awesome relationship month with the Lord it's been until Joshua chapter 7. But the people of Israel broke faith and the anger of the Lord burned against them. Please open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. This amazing month is really going to now end with a collision. And in this collision, it's a collision with God himself. And I'm just going to tell you, it's hard, it's heavy, and there's carnage. Um, you know, that's the way uh, collisions are. They generally have some level of carnage in it. And I just want for all of us to know at this point, as we get ready to enter this passage, that not only is there carnage that's taken place in Joshua 7, but in all frankness, I think in this collision that we're going to have, there's going to be some carnage in our own lives that comes to the surface as a result of it. But we're about to actually, I think, experience two collisions. One is a collision between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of us, of mankind. We're also, I think, about to experience a collision of cultures. Uh, let me call it a worldview. A collision between a biblical worldview of things and a cultural worldview of things. And a worldview of things culturally being we're people that live in America in 2013 and we have a particular worldview in it. And we're going to enter this passage and uh, it's going to get uncomfortable. It's going to get uncomfortable because of collision number one between the holiness of God and the depravity of man. It's also going to be uncomfortable because you are going to see our worldviews, a biblical worldview, God's worldview, and our worldview collide. And we're going to see that happen. So I just put all this on the table right now um, because we have a choice. You have a choice this morning. As we enter this passage, it's going to press us. And as we enter this chapter today, you can choose to take your debates and debate God. You can choose to do that. Or you can choose to rest your uncomfort with God in God. I would suggest we choose the latter in this. Now, I'm not saying that we can't wrestle things out with the Lord. I'm not saying that we can't take things we don't understand and kind of like, God, what, what, what's going on here and what's happening? That's not the point. But things get to the place to where we wrestle things with the Lord to the place where it's like, okay, God, come on, I got the boxing gloves on. Let's duke it out, you and I. And I'm just going to say, we're never going to win that one. I've tried it before. And you have too. And we're not going to win that one. So I would encourage us, while we're going to be tempted to put the boxing gloves on, I would tempt us to kind of embrace chapter 5, verse 14, where Joshua falls to the ground, worships the Lord, even in the not knowing what in the world's going on. And he says, what would you have for me, your servant, to do? Well, Lord, as we enter this uh, quite a passage of Scripture, I pray that you would be with us. Lord, uh, 
This is your kingdom, not ours. And the fact of the matter is, is one's created to live in your kingdom. We have a hard time understanding you at times. But you are God. You are holy. You are righteous. You are just. You are perfect. You are without deceit. You don't play games. You're just straightforward. We can know you. How amazing is that? And your grace. And your truth. And you're just. God, I'd rather jump to chapter 8. But chapter 7 tells us a lot about you. So I pray we would get to know you better. Lord, show yourself this morning to us, would you please? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Joshua 7, you there? All right, let's begin verse 1. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a couple uh, breaks in verse 1 or work with some of the statements in verse 1 and, and then we'll kind of pick up the pace. Chapter 7, verse 1, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. Now, as I said, it's been a great month so far, but something has just happened and it states there's something with the people, and it says that they broke faith. The, the terminology here, it's highly serious. It's very blunt, and, and it's very emphatic in what's being stated here. And what's going on is there's been a treacherous breach of trust. What's really going on here is we could actually say there has been infidelity. Infidelity has occurred. That's what's happening here in this beginning part. And then at the end, it says, in relation to the devoted things. If you weren't here last Sunday, let's just quickly look over chapter 6, probably across the page for you to verse 17. Now, this is in Jericho, taking of Jericho. It says, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Down to verse 18, but you... Keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble on it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. That's what's happening here. God had said that earlier. And, and and by the way, in this, it's 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 a holistic thing. There's going to be problems in the whole camp if this takes place. And that's what's happening. So what's going on? But the people of Israel broke faith with regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. Why all the terminology? Well, the readers at the time when this was written would understand. He basically is coming. Uh, he's He's in the early stage lineage of the line that's going to become the dynasty of Israel. So uh, it just adds kind of to the whole story of what's going on. This just is not Joe Schmuck. This is actually some guy who's part of the lineage of the dynasty that's about to be coming. Well, what did this Achan dude do? Look, he took some of the devoted things. He took some. And they were all told, they all knew but he took some. What happened as a result? Look at the end of verse 1. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. How interesting here. I mean, here we are, everything's been amazing, and all of a sudden now God is furious, and he's furious with his own people. Uh, by the way, did you note in this the pluralness of the statements? Uh, it says in the beginning, for the people of Israel broke faith. And then at the end of it, it says uh, th the Lord burned against the people of Israel. But I thought in the sentence that it has in verse 1, Achan's the guilty one. So why have the people broken faith? If Achan is the only guilty one in it, then why is God mad at the people? Isn't that a great question? Hey, that is a clash of worldviews right here. Please understand what's going on here. 
this worldview collision comes into the fact that we love individualism. We are a country built on this rugged individualism, and we're so proud of that. And, and our worldview collides with this biblical worldview of together, of one. And we already have been thinking, this isn't fair. True? I mean, like, what's the deal? The dude did something wrong. I'm paying the price. What's the deal with that? I mean, here's just the reality. This just brings out this. We have a very bizarre cultural thing going on in our cultural world. I mean, we love to do life alone. We pride ourselves in not needing each other. And yet, in all of that, we bow to the God of other people. I mean, we're, we're rugged individualists. But then think how much time we spend in the fear of man. What you think of me. How pretty I am. Handsome I am. Let's go with that. It sounds better. You know, back and forth. You, you understand that? What you think of me? How cool we are. That's all in, in this relation to what other people think. And yet we're so individualistic. I'm telling you, friends, it's a very bizarre reality that we have, that we live in. And the truth of the matter is, it's not really any different in the church. I mean, it's kind of like this thing of we just maybe are more kind about it. Please don't get in my business. What I do is my business. What you do is your business. And guess what? This chapter says not true. And already right now, you and I don't like that. Because my business, no, you're like, well, Doug, you're the lead pastor. You're the teaching pastor. So what? your business is our business. I get that. No, but understand this. Your business is also my business. And your business is everybody else's business in the church. Doug, I don't like this. I'm out. Collision collision of worldviews. I'll put it this way in the church. We love to attend, but we fear real community. We love to attend, but we fear real community. And the biblical worldview is, it's community. It's tight. What I do impacts you. What you do impacts me. What we do impacts each other for real. That's the worldview that it has. And I can validate that out of 1 Corinthians 12. It talks about how we are one body. We're one body. Uh, arms, legs, feet, hands, unique, yet one. Individual, yet one. And here in this verse 1, if we don't understand this in the beginning, this rest of this chapter is just going to grind us up even more. Already we're seeing this collision of God's holiness and man's sin and a collision of worldviews with biblical worldview in our worldview. Well, let's keep going. So what happens? Verse 2, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and they spied out Ai and they returned to Joshua and said to him, uh, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up from the military and attack Ai. And do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people and they fled. By the way, that's the Israelites. And in this battle, the Israelites hightail it out because they're getting their tails whooped. And they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of the Israelite men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people, in parentheses, of Israel melted and became as water. How interesting is that statement? Because we saw that in chapter 2. When the spies come back and they report in Jericho that the people over in Canaan, the people over in Jericho, their hearts have melted because of God and now it's God's own people. Their hearts have melted. Something has gone wrong. Massive collision has now taken place. Why the failure at Ai? Some say overconfidence. Some say lack of prayer. I, I actually don't think it's either of those. I think if you just want to look at that paragraph and read it, then you might get that, but you're losing the context of the text. What happened in Ai? What happened was verse 1. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Why did they lose the battle? Because God's people, hear this, God's people were under God's wrath. And this is what's really important in this. They didn't even know that. 
They didn't know that yet. We'll see that. And yet, how many people die in this? How many men from Israel die as a result of this? How many? That's a lot. Carnage. Verse 6, Then Joshua tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel. Now there's community there as well. And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord, why have you brought the people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan? Oh Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? Lord, for the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And Lord, what will you do for your great name? You ever been in that kind of situation? You're like, Lord, I don't know what's going on here. Face of the ground is not a bad thing to do. So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? That's interesting. Watch this. Now watch this. Israel has sinned. Are you getting this? Plural. The whole community, Israel has sinned. They, plural, have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They, plural, have taken some of the devoted things. They have? I thought just Achan did. No, no, no. They have. They, plural, have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They, plural, turn their backs before their enemies because they, plural, have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more. I'm telling you, I'd just rather go to chapter 8. But the sentence doesn't stop, by the way. I will be with you no more unless you, plural. Hear me on that? Unless you, plural, destroy the devoted things from among you. I will never be with I will not be with you anymore. Man, may that never be the case of the Lord. Friends, do you understand how important the manifest presence of the Lord is? And can I just say here in this church? Oh God, not that with us. A commentary notes might the apparent absence of God in various segments of the capital C church be due to our unwillingness to purge evil from our own midst. Verse 13. God continues, get up. Consecrate the people, plural. And say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. Pay attention to the timing. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel. There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes. Got this? And the tribe that the Lord takes by lot, by the way, oftentimes back in that day, one of the things that they would do in this taking by lot is we're not exactly sure how this went, but it's known that one of the common things they would do in this is the priest or a key leader, and not just with Israel, but even with other, other countries at the time would do this. They would have a white rock and a black rock, and they would have it in a bag or in a, in a, in a pocket. And, and when like this is going on, they, they would pull one out. And, and if it was the white, then it's kind of your cleared if it, if it was the other then then, then uh, it comes on you and even it's noted in history and archaeology that some places would even literally do it like three out of five uh, because they would they did not they knew there's the potential for their own error to come into it or their own view to come into it literally at times it'd be okay one red one black or one white one black one you know it'd come down three out of five uh, either way and that's what this is being set up here and and the tribe that the lord takes by lot shall come near by clans and and the clan that the lord takes shall come near by households and the household that the lord takes shall come near by man by man and and he who is taken within
in the devoted things shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has, by the way, in the context of the day, understood his family. Because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Collision. In fact, right now, I'm going to guess when I'm studying through this as well, struggling within myself, where at times it's like, maybe God's the one who's being outrageous in this. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near, tribe by tribe. Friends, do you understand this? This isn't, this isn't like about 10 people or 12 people doing this. This is like the whole nation was in on this deal. And by the way, this was not a lottery you want to win. Can you imagine the tenseness? Everybody knows what's going on here. This wasn't just done behind closed doors. This was public, in community. So culturally different. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites, man by man. Can you imagine if you were one of those men, part of the Zerahites, and you're innocent? I'm sweating. And Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And then Joshua said to Achan, my son, look at this, this is amazing. My son, give glory to the Lord. Give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me what you have done. Hey, have you you ever thought that repentance gives glory to the Lord? Have you thought that repentance gives praise unto the Lord? I mean, we're ones who just, we just, we just don't want to talk about it. We don't want to deal with it. We're like, God, you just want to crush us, don't you? You must just get so tired of me, aren't you? And yet here in it, I love this mindset, this attitude. No, no, no. Repentance gives glory to God. It it puts things in the right place and in the right order. God is God and I am not. I am a fallen creature. And yet, God, I come to you and I repent, Lord. I, I mean, it puts God right where he should be on the throne of it. And not me. And it brings him praise because God wants to give forgiveness. This is all about the crosses magnified at repentance. The empty tomb is glorified in our repentance because he's paid it all. Why are we so slow? Why do we so fight it? It's just beauty within the ugliness of the collision. My son, give glory to the Lord. Give praise to him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And they ain't going to answer Joshua. Look at this. Truly, I have sinned. It's not like, oops. We're not going to see pieces of information come out a little bit at a time. It's truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. I get that. I get that. Let's be real. So do you. We get that. That's what sin is. I saw something that is not mine, that should not be mine, and I wanted it so bad that I was willing to sin to go get it. 
We all know this. I read this and I'm like, I am so glad I didn't live in that day. Because you today may all be reading about Doug. Uh, We get this. And then he goes on, and they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Dude. Uh, listen first, this is a continuing story of, of, of relationship. This is about relationship and sin. We now enter in a story in this chapter of relationship doing it my way versus doing it Yahweh's way. And when we do it my way, this is the kind of thing that happens. And by the way, Adam and Eve knew about hiding sin. Covering it up. Aaron, Moses' right-hand man, uh, uh, he knew about sin. Exodus chapter 32, Moses comes off the mountain because God says they're down there worshiping an idol. And he's like, Aaron, what is the deal, dude? And Aaron's like, Moses, you know the people. They gave me stuff. They made me throw it in the fire and poof, out came a calf. Dude, are you kidding me? I get that. You get that. David knew about hiding sin. We think that we can hide our sin, don't we? You may be able to hide it from each other, but we can't from God. And I don't mean this to scare us. I mean this to put a fear of reality in us. We deny our sin. What sin? Where? It's just an oopsie. We redefine our sin. It's a disease. It's a genetic disorder. It's a sociological ramification of this stinking society. We go easy on our sin. Come on, everybody does it. No one's perfect. I can't help it. And by the way, we love to talk about forgiveness, but how often do we hear talking about repentance? Friends, the truth of the matter is we are masters at burying our sin. We arrange it. We redefine it. We deny it. We package it up. And we bury it under ourselves, out of sight, out of mind. But God sees it all. This is heavy, isn't it? Is there any hope? Is there any mercy? Verse 19. Repent. It glorifies the Lord. Repent. It gives praise unto him. Verse 22. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent... And behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. A community. You getting this? This is massive community throughout all of this. And they took them out of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all Israel, and they laid them down before the Lord. This is a vertical thing as well. This is spiritual. Verse 24, and Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the cloak, and the bar of gold, and his sons, and his daughters, and his oxen, and his donkeys, and his sheep, and his tent. And all that he had, and he brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? Plural. The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him. And they stoned his family. And they burned them. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Verse 
there is the tendency right now to be the person in my shoes to make what is unpalatable palatable. And I'm not. There's this desire within me and within us to, to justify God and by helping him out. By putting a good light on him. By almost excusing God or, or not pausing here and just going right into chapter 8. And go, isn't that interesting? Let's just go. I can't do that. We need to be uncomfortable. So I have some questions. Why is it that you and I right now are likely thinking, God is a bit unfair in this? I mean, here we are, a totally depraved people, questioning God and his character and his choices, judging God, willing to bat, go to battle with God and what he did. I mean, why are we so quick to do that? And I'm just going to add something bizarre in this. Why do we think that gone from here in life is so bad? The whole death process, <laughs> I'm not into that. And this was bad. But do you understand? 36 other men have already died in war because of this one dude's sin. And then his whole family. And can I just ask this question? Could it be that in this gone from here thing that we oftentimes think, well, gone from here means like you have no hope or I don't know what, are they in hell? I'm just going to answer, I don't know. You know what? Maybe what part of this is that's teaching out of this is God says, listen, dude, I love you. You are my child, but I'm pulling you out early. And you are not going to be experiencing the full blessing that I had intended for you. And I'm going to pull you out early. Still with the Lord. I don't know. I don't know. I have yet to read any commentator want to talk about that issue. But I'm telling you, I'm thinking it. And part of it's because we think gone from this life, everything after that just bites. But wait a second. Why are we just thinking? Why are we in this thing where we just wrestle with God? Why are we quick just to say, whoa, God, you are holy and we are so not. Why aren't we quick in this just to be able to go, apparently my sin is so detestable before the Lord that a holy God justified, even though I can't make it all right in my own explanation, somehow a holy, righteous, judged, just perfect God has allowed all this carnage to happen. My sin's that big of a deal. Why are we quick to ask, do I have any sin like this? Buried away, packaged up, hidden. And could it be that in the hardness of me wanting to deal with my sin, that actually because of my sin, not only am I paying the price up for it, but so is my family. And so is this church. So what do we do? It's time to get up and go dig up what has been hidden and repent. And give glory to the Lord. Give praise to him in it. It's time to do what David did. After months of hiding his sin 
And David said, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, Psalm 32, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. That's the reality that sin does in us. But then, verse 5, then I acknowledged my sin to you, Lord, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave. Why aren't we quick to do that? Why aren't we quick to be 2 Corinthians 7? Godly repentance with eagerness, with zeal, with passion and righteousness to pursue godly repentance in it, to make it right. So I ask, in light of Joshua 7, is there sin hidden in your life that needs to be uncovered, sin unconfessed? Sin buried? Needs to be dug up, brought to the light, and repented of. Sin of commission. Something that you know is wrong, but yet you're doing it anyway. Sin of omission, something you know that you should be doing, but you aren't doing it because you don't want to. Lust for what is not yours, like with Achan. We understand it. Listen, this is not a perfect people. This is a hospital for sinners. And I'm so grateful that God does not stone us today. But our sin is serious, friends. And we got to take it, sinner. Is it serious? Is there bitterness residing in you? Is there a critical heart within you? Men, I want to talk to you just for a minute because I have a passion for growing men for Christ. Men, you're to be the pace setter in your homes. So I'm asking you here right now this morning, set the pace. Is there lust issues going on, guys? Hey, we all struggle with it. Let's get real. Let's get honest. And it's thrown right in front of our face every day. Proverbs 6. Can a man carry fire next to his chest? And his clothes not be burned. Or walk on hot coals. And his feet not be scorched. So is he who goes to the adulterous woman. No one touches her will go unpunished. Chapter 7. It will cost him his life. Men. I'm calling you out today. Husbands, are you loving your wife? 1 Timothy 3, likewise husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way so that your prayers may not be hindered. Hear that? Proverbs 30, under three things the earth trembles. Under four, it cannot bear up. Number two, an unloved wife. Men, are you loving your wives? And ladies, I would encourage you to be very careful right now. Because Matthew 7 says, the measure you use to measure, you will be measured. Proverbs tells us that it's harder, it would be better to live on the corner of a rooftop than in a house with a quarrelsome wife. Guys, are you loving your wives? Dads, are you loving your children? If anyone is not caring for his family, it's talking about men, and it's not just money. He's worse than an unbeliever. Guys, 
and ladies and kids, God provides forgiveness. Let's run there. Summary thoughts. My sin is serious. My sin is a community issue. It doesn't just affect me. Third, my sin results in lost blessing. You thought about that? Wow. And fourth, my sin can be forgiven. Before we take communion, I'm just going to ask that you close your eyes, bow your head, whatever. This is just some downtime here. Thank you for your patience with me in this. This is heavy. I don't get thrill out of talking about this stuff. If you have hidden or buried sin in your life, it's time to get it out. It's time to go dig it. I would just ask for you, what is it? First, name it. What is it? What is it? What is it within you? Attitude, action, something going on that is unconfessed, that you've been hiding, that you've been stuck in. It's time to return to the Lord. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. And I want to bring into this, by the way, the community reality of Joshua 7. So here's what I'm going to ask. Before we take communion, just this is just kind of eyes closed, heads down kind of a thing. But I'm going to ask, if, if there's something you need to confess, don't, don't just do it right now sitting. I'm going to ask, would you stand up? Just stand up. I'm not saying you have to pray it out loud, but would you just stand up? And as a representation between you and the Lord, just the fact that, listen, my sin doesn't just impact me. My sin impacts everybody. And, and actually, I hope there's people all over this room that's standing up. Standing up, confessing. Uh, do that now. If that's you, if there's something going on that you just has not been keeping current with the Lord and you just need to get right with the Lord, just stand up and take some time here as, uh, as we're just kind of in prostrate position here before the Lord. Confess it. And when you're done, we're going to take our time here. Then go ahead and sit down. Maybe it's an attitude, an action, something that you've been harboring. Give glory to the Lord in it. Repentance brings him praise. Don't let proud hearts hold us back from what's right. Just while things continue, communion servers, could you come and prepare for communion? Just keep keep what we're doing. Corinthians 11. Paul says, so, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup. After supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you think it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of Jesus. Let a person examine himself. Then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. He says, that is why so many of you are weak and ill. And some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Could I ask everybody to stand, please? If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you just go ahead and just right now, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, go over to one of the stations and grab the bread, grab the cup, bring it right back to your seat, and we're going to partake in just a minute here. What a remembrance of why glory and praise can even come out of sin. It's all because of the work of the cross. Jesus paid the price. No stoning necessary for us. like to encourage you if there's been something buried that you've made in the open and you've brought it before the Lord I would encourage you in the next few days this week that you would grab somebody else in a small group or somebody else and you would just tell what the Lord has done 
we're so isolated. And that also includes isolated in our sin. And that includes isolated even in our repentance. Community is a beautiful thing. And in community, Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord God, it is all about you. And Lord, we are a failed creature. We are a fallen creature. We are a sinning creature. We just, it's just in us. And yet you and in your grace and in your love and in your kindness and God, Christ took my stoning. Christ has taken our stoning and for the person who places their faith, we have relationship with you. All things have been forgiven from the past and the future. And yet in the reality of the relationship, Lord, there are times where we still hide. And we still cover and we still package it up and we still redefine it and we still excuse it. And God, I pray that we would be the kind of people and we would be the kind of church that realizes, hey, all sinners in this room. And God, we want to pursue being the kind of people who are more and more willing to be quick to repent and quick to forget and quick to forgive. And to God that we would go to each other and ask forgiveness to the appropriate people when we need to do that, Lord, as well as to you. And Lord, that you would be glorified in it. God, I go from that text today and I say this morning, by repentance that was taking place this morning, you have been glorified. Praise is given unto you. And for God, for you, God, I pray it is just a beautiful thing before your eyes. Sometimes you are so hard for us to understand. But your forgiveness, it is something we can actually get. In the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray.